Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th Tea Podcast. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy with you for another week. Drudy, a very good evening to you. Good evening, KM. In the words of Big Kev, mate, I am excited for this enormous, one. Enormous, enormous episode coming our way. A review of the 2021 PGA WPGA Championship. We're not going to dilly-dally, though, Drudy. We no. are going to crack open a, a beer. Thanks to our great mates at Gage Roads Brewing Company right off the very top. Of course, WA's premier craft brewery, named after the strip of ocean between Rottnest and Fremantle. And it's a special beer tonight, Drews, because we've never done this. We've never cracked a beer so early to toast a guest. Uh, but it's necessary uh, this evening. If you'll indulge me for a moment, this young man, our guest this evening, first joined us uh, about 14 months ago as a fresh-faced 20-year-old amateur off the back of his win at the Australian Amateur. Uh, you fast-forward... Uh, 14 months and about 100 episodes, and he joins us now, having etched his name onto the Joe Kirkwood Cup. I speak, of course, of our 2021 Australian PGA champion, Jediah Morgan. Jed, welcome back to the 19th team, mate. Thank you. I reckon you've got your timeline wrong because it was 2020 that I won the uh, Australian Amateur, so it couldn't, <laughs> have been, couldn't have been 14 months ago. Couldn't have been 14 months. How am I going? Where are we? We started 20. Oh, yeah, shit. We're at the start of 2022. Well, thanks, yeah, mate. No, it's it been great been, to have uh, you. Uh, that, that, that'll about do us for this yeah. season. It's, it's really good. <laughs> I was wondering how quick I could, uh, how could, how quick I could finish this off. <laughs> I also love the fact that we've got you laying down. I know this has come at the end of an awfully long 48 hours and a number of media commitments. So uh, I thoroughly enjoy that you are as comfortable with us as you are, that you feel as though you can conduct this from your bed. Yeah, uh, it's pretty good. Not bad at all. Now, look, we're going to get into the serious stuff and it's going to be plenty of that because obviously – uh, what have we got? We've got youngest ever winner. We've got equal scoring record. We've smashed Greg Norman's record for the margin. And I'm sure if you had a dollar for every time you've heard those three stats in the last 48 hours, you probably would have doubled your price purse. So yeah. we'll get to all that shit because that's important. But I want to start yeah. off with the, the really important question, which is I think is what most of our listeners would be interested in. And that's could you take us through the 12 hours that followed you dropping the putt on Sunday <laughs> afternoon? Because... I've seen a variety of things. First and foremost, I saw a couple of videos that looked like some absolute scenes from the Royal Queensland Clubhouse on Sunday. Oh, my God. <laughs> we then spoke last night on the podcast, Jed, to Laurie Flynn, uh, who yeah. speculated that he wouldn't be surprised if he'd fell asleep in a garden bed somewhere at yeah. Royal Queensland. I then heard your Melbourne radio this morning um, uh, throwing your your lovely girlfriend Ellie under the bus and big shout out to Ellie for probably pulling this interview again together for yeah. us on the Instagram account. <laughs> You've thrown Ellie under the bus this morning suggesting she's done a bit of redecorating of the bathroom at 4am on Monday morning. Yeah. Uh, so what I want to know is, can you walk us through, I suppose, the 12 hours after and can you confirm, uh, does winner's piss in fact taste better? <laughs> it sounds like you already know what I did. <laughs> I may, I, I may have I an idea. Need, General, like, I don't need to tell, uh, tell anyone anything by the sounds of it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. And yes, winner's piss does taste better. It's funny how that come about because I was with one of the boys in the in the golf club after. Obviously, we finished all the interviews and 
um, all the media, like immediate media requests um, straight after. Had a couple of beers while I was waiting around for it all to, to get over and done with. Um, went upstairs to the golf club. We got yeah, we got written off pretty quickly, which was nice. Um, it didn't take me too many because I was pretty shafted, but yeah, <laughs> it took about two or three. <laughs> but yeah, winners piss come about. Um, one of the boys that I used to work with, Jimbo, and I'm good mates with him now, Jimbo Me, his name is. Um, and we were giving shit to Aaron Wilkin, which is another boy, uh, another one of the boys that um, yeah, is, I guess, in the friendship group of some of the boys on tour. And yeah, he just wanted me to send this video to him. And I was half cut. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do it. <laughs> and um, there he goes. I was like, he got me to say something. I forget what he got me to say. You might even know. It sounds like you know it better than I do. But um, yeah, we were in the golf club. We, the golf club, funnily enough, RQ's got some tradition with a pennant song that we usually sing. It's for He's a Jolly Good Fellow. And um, I just got everyone to sing that as well. So that was good. <laughs> so that was yeah. when we're at our probably at our loudest, I reckon. How did uh, how did Monday morning feel, mate? Yeah, as I said, my girlfriend definitely felt the worst of it. She was um, <laughs> up at 4.30 decorating. So it was all, I didn't see the decorations, but she must have cleaned it. So. Oh, mate, that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask a question about Louis Dobler, mate. Um, yeah, how, yeah. Dis- how disappointed are you in his effort with the champagne bottle on on the 18th green? Because I don't reckon a drop came out of that thing. He needs some nah, serious technique work. I got covered in more water, I reckon. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know who ran in. There was there was four or five people that ran in, but I think it was Dave um, Nicoluzzi with with the Mount Franklin who was sharing. Oh, that's right. That's right. I saw a photo. That's who it was. I couldn't quite make out who it was, but yeah, it was him. Um, yeah, I, I didn't cover, get covered by much of the champagne until he started to pour it on top of my head, but that's about it. So, uh, must, have been a dodgy, must have been a dodgy bottle. I don't know. Uh, I reckon it's probably... Or, he, or he's just got spaghetti arms. Old yeah. Louie just trying to shake it up. <laughs> he's got pencil arms. There's nothing on him. <laughs> uh, we, he's coming on next week, and that's certainly one of the questions that we will uh, be posing, <laughs> posing to him about what's going on. You've got to bring up when he gets on why his nickname is... Atlas, because uh, every no time, every time, oh, he'll know exactly what I mean. Um, but every time we get on the pitch, he, he promises the world, but he gives you a globe. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. goodness me, yeah, that's Excellent. outstanding. I absolutely yeah, I, love I just, that. I'm not going to take credit for that um, that nickname because I did, definitely didn't come up with it. But it's, it's actually it. you might have had him on the show. I think it might have been. Um, it was Jack Thompson who came up with that, so he's he's pretty witty, but also yeah. coming on shortly. Also yeah, coming no. on shortly. So we'll ask Louis about Atlas, and then we'll ask Jack about the origins of the nickname uh, before <laughs> yeah, we go any further. It came about when we were all we we're all living together in America for I guess six months, and we got on the piss a little bit there um, a couple of times, and yeah, each time Louis promised the world but delivered a fucking Atlas. <laughs> all right, let's um. Let's talk a bit of golf. Uh, I don't want to get too serious for too long, but one thing that stood out to me, Jed, uh, I was reading a fair bit of coverage that came out, uh, you know, Sunday night into Monday, and there was a nice nice quote that came from you. I don't even know if you remember saying it, but it stood out to me because um, 
it was just a bit different from the Jed that we'd experienced and, and the first time we speak to you that we've spoken to a number of times away from the podcast that we've got in the first 15 minutes tonight, which is the jovial, the Hattonvale boy, the, the joker. Yeah. You said that the best thing you did last week was just be yourself. And that yeah. really kind of stood out to me because um, I've taken a little journey. I was walking around a few holes watching you on Thursday and it felt as though um, that, that crowd that was following you You'd had that experience at the amateur at RQ a couple of years ago, but not to the extent of a PGA and not with no. the big grandstands around and the cameras following. And to be fair, on Thursday, it did feel as though it was a little uncomfortable for you. Yeah. But as the week progressed, it yeah. seemed as almost like you flicked a switch and said, fuck it, I'm just going to be me. And yeah. whatever happens, happens. But mm. that clearly, come Sunday afternoon, reap rewards. So can you, can you talk us through, uh, w- w- was there a particular moment where you thought, there's no point trying to be something I'm not? I'm just mm. going to embrace the experience and the opportunity the next couple of days and we'll see where we end up. Yeah, I think that it stems from like my my junior golf. I had I just had a lot of people comment on how either up or down I was, whether I was playing well or not well. And it stems from that um, and the amount of comments. I Not that I was horrible. I, I definitely was still 16, 17, trying to understand what anger was. <laughs> but... Um, I, um, yeah, I'm someone who overthinks quite a bit of stuff and I'm trying to move more towards the other way. Um, I'm definitely not going to stop being the person who overthinks things, but you definitely need to work out what's relevant and what's irrelevant. Um, but in terms of that, yeah, it, just, it stems from the younger, um, like when I was a bit younger and couldn't quite handle what people would say to me. So I took things quite personally in terms of that and tried to become like quite, I guess, stoic and unbothered by things, um, not pumped up by things. And it just moved me away from, I guess, the reason why you play professional or amateur sport and then professional sport. And that's to be excited, to be angry, to be sad. Um, Yeah, interact with people and especially myself as a person, I think, uh, thrives off of that type of stuff. And that's why I thrive the most, I think, at the crowd and, and yeah, started at the amateur, and I, um, I basically after the amateur, I played well at the Vic Open, then made a lot of changes. I think, like in myself and in my swing, um, just because I thought that's what you need to do to get better. You need to change who you are, but you don't. You just need to discover who you are. Um, there's a big difference in that, and I can't tell people how I've done it because they don't know. I've just tried to tried and tried and tried and eventually stumbled across what I thought was right, kind of a bit of trial and error and, and yeah, figured it out. The passion um, the, the passion that we saw on the on the greens predominantly, but the, the big come ons, yeah. the, the big fist bumps, like I couldn't help but smile every time I saw that. And <laughs> it's so um unusual in a good way to see yeah. a golfer doing that. And it was just so refreshing. And I think to piggyback off Marshy's point there, that's that was sort of the guy that we picked up from our, our interview with yeah. you the first time, not 20 yeah. months ago, um, to, <laughs> to that, that we picked up in that interview. Um, that was just who you were. And, and it wasn't like you were trying to be someone else. It wasn't a facade at all. It, you were just genuinely so pumped. I guess, in your performance, in, in where you were going. I guess it's not even a question here. It's just more of a comment. But is that is that accurate? Is that fair to say? Yeah. No, definitely. I am. I'm definitely that person. I've just, I don't know, I've 
people comment on on what you're doing or not that's just part of being a human like you just got to deal with the bad shit people say and i think i've taken it the wrong way um in terms of that type of stuff and i just needed to yeah be honest and true to what i do and i had to do that that week because i just said it started at kind of jeff ogilvy's event in uh late december last year just went a bit more into my own world focused kind of thing and we didn't have the crowds to be able to interact with uh like we did at the pga but I don't know. I threw a fist bump by accident on 12. To be honest with you, it was it was by accident. It went in for Egan. I just kind of fist pumped. I was like, oh shit. Um, I probably look like a wanker there. But that, that's the thing. That's, that's what I thought. I just thought if you throw fist bumps stuff, you're you're um, a wanker because that's what a lot of people say in golf because it's you're supposed to be quiet and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I just hated it. I, I yeah, I don't. It's not me. It's it's so difficult for me to be quiet. Um, coming from so many team sports and a rowdy, 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 I guess, atmosphere in, in terms of, yeah, team sport and, and being in school and shit. So I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to see what it would look like. It would go one of two ways. People would either hate me or or um, like it the way they did. So, yeah, I, it was kind of a trial and everything, but it felt so good because I needed to get out of my mind and out of my body and um, yeah, have an experience. I was going to hold on to this a little later, but you brought up the fist pump. Um, I, I loved it personally, but one piece <laughs> of feedback uh, from me is, can we make a decision about whether we're going to pump the fist or point the finger? Because there were times where you're going <laughs> with some weird fucking hybrid model of like a, I know. a fist pump and <laughs> it just got a little bit awkward. That's probably the only time in my mind you did look like a wanker when you couldn't choose if you wanted to point your finger or pump your fist. I think if we just commit to one, that's probably going to work going forward. Nah, fuck it. Combine the both. <laughs> well, also, I as I said, that's the first time I've done it in, in, in yeah, ever really. Um, so I've got some shit to work on by the looks of it. Speaking of first time we've done things as well, I'm interested to know uh, how long you think uh, Yeah Baby will be a thing when you stick it to four or five feet and a par three off the tee. Because uh, that was very <laughs> entertaining on Sunday afternoon, but I'd love to know, <sighs> do like... Are we going to see that at Nudgy this week when you go out for the Queensland uh, PGA just on maybe Thursday? We just stick it to three feet on a, on a par three and give us a yeah, baby, off the tee. <laughs> There's two things I wish I didn't say. And that was <laughs> that was on the ninth hole in the final round, I said, let's go. And I've never fucking said, let's go in my life. Um, and then, yeah, baby, I don't know where the hell that came from. <laughs> but I just wanted, yeah. I knew if I if I hit it on there, I knew everyone was going to go nuts, especially the boys in the back. Um, they were all maggots, so I knew if, if I did that, and it would, everyone would just go off. So I was just like, I just yelled something, and it, yeah, baby, by accident. So, <laughs> how did you find seventeen through the week? Because uh, I mean, we mentioned the immense support you had, obviously playing your home track at Royal Queensland throughout the week, but it all seemed to culminate at 17 every day. And there's a variety of reasons for that. I imagine serving piss from 9am in the morning is a big factor in that. But watching you kind of walk up there on Thursday, it's almost like it hit you a bit by surprise because you got there and it was almost like a scene out of Gladiator. Like They were chanting your name. It was Jed, Jed, Jed (laughs) up the back. And you kind of like walked up on the team. It was like, oh, shit, there's a bit going on here. So I wonder how you kind of handled that each day then, particularly when, you know, it became obvious that you were going to win the tournament. And you kind of maybe just started to embrace that a little bit more on 17. Um, 
Yeah, that first day, I didn't expect so many people to be in there on a Thursday for one. Um, but I guess if you paid for one of the tickets, you wanted to get your money's worth, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't expect that. Like, I'd, I expected support, but, yeah, it was sick. That's kind of what started it all. And, um, yeah, stuck it in there pretty tight that day. I was, I was nervous as shit on that, that tee box. That's probably the most nervous I was all week that first time I stood on 17 and um, managed to hit it on and nearly made the putt. But, yeah, just to get a bit of that, noise going which is cool i'd never experienced anything like that um or been in a tournament set up where it's, where it is set up like that for them to be able to play music in your in your uh putting stroke and, and your backswing i love it like it's just it doesn't have to be as quiet as what the game actually is obviously it's part of the history and i guess the gentleman aspect of the game but we're in a modern world where if you want bigger crowds they've got to have more fun so i'm all for players interacting more and and yeah i'm all for that shit so it's and then yeah as the week went on that whole i just i was excited to step on that tee every day um i think the only day i didn't have any any like anyone in the background was when i teed off at um sparified on friday morning (laughs) (laughs) yeah saturday sunday was sick um that's amazing to hear because you know we're we're certainly been big advocates of music playing and and everything like that. So you you're certainly not alone in having those thoughts. Um, must be asked, Jed, how big of an advantage is playing the Aussie PGA on your home deck? Must be significant. You you obviously know where the breaks are. You know where to hit it. You know where not to hit it. But yeah. in your in your words, how big of an advantage is that to be playing on your home track? Well, around that particular joint. It's it's absolutely massive. Um, I just watched guys like make mistakes that you just that I've made before a million times, but because I've played there a million times, um, I just knew exactly when not to fucking hit it. Like it was just it started in the amateur. I noticed how much of an advantage it was to be a member there and to know exactly where the slopes were um, and everything. Um, and I noticed like my scores in that in terms of the margins I won by yeah were definitely driven from how well I knew the place because my mistakes were so much smaller than uh other people especially going over the backs of greens and um leaving it like especially on the on the good putting surface leaving it in spots where you just cannot even two putt so it's massive it is massive there and I won't I won't lie or sugarcoat that I'm I was fortunate very very fucking fortunate um and played a huge part, definitely. But you still got to go out and execute the shot, mate. That's that's yeah. Uh, that's the thing as well. Yeah, that, that was the cool thing is I knew. Yeah, I I just fully know that place like the back of my hand. Um, and I love playing that golf course. I I, I thought it'd be I thought it would play a lot harder. Not saying I didn't play really awesome, but um, yeah, there was two new tees that made it like probably. 50 metres longer on both the holes. And, um, yeah, I still was managed to birdie a couple of those each two days. But, yeah, it's just, it was amazing. It was honestly amazing. Uh, I guess when you're leading by such an enormous margin and it's so well referenced throughout the broadcast, obviously sitting over here in Perth, watching it 
I mean, it was it was almost a bit of a foregone co- conclusion uh, by the time Sunday rolled around that you were gonna you were gonna be the victor. There was me and Marsh. You were texting back and forth, and I think even Friday night, Marsh, we might have said like, I think this is it. Like, I don't think anyone's gonna catch Jed from here. Was there a mm. moment that you kind of knew in your head? I mean, you go in with what was it, nine shot lead or something going into the final round? Like you must have walked on the first ten and gone, fuck, no one's catching me. That all. <laughs> Nah, I, nah, definitely. I didn't want to. I doubt definitely holds me, like keeps me honest for sure. Um, I would love to have been able to tell everyone, yeah, nah, I knew I was going to win. Honestly, I fucking uh, knew no one's catch me. But all I could think about was just don't fucking choke. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been so long since I've. One of oh, it's been yeah, it's been a few years now since I've won a, a four round tournament where I've had to put four good rounds together to hold off an entire field because obviously that last victory was the Australian amateur and that was match play and it's yeah every golfer will tell you that it's completely different. Um, so I have yeah, I haven't won a four round tournament for a long time, and let alone on the stage that I did it on in the tournament I did it and uh, yeah, I'm just so happy with myself and I never once until I hit the green on 17 there was a couple of shots in the back nine where I thought shit that's massive um hopefully that helps <laughs> 13 <laughs> I made a putt for birdie and guys would have been making bogey left right and center I was like shit that helps again um but yeah not until I hit it on 17 green I was like all right I've fucking won this thing your face I think it might have been 16 was it 16 you went left and had a, had a nothing shot on 16. You managed to walk away with a par. You, dro- you dropped a pretty big putt, I think, to have a par save on 16. And your uh, face, or was it 15 when you had the drop? I had to drop it, yeah, out of the hazard, yeah. I think it might have been 15 because your face, when you dropped that putt, it was like, like you say 17 is where it registered for you, but there was a sense of relief in your, in, yeah. in your facial expression that it was like, okay, yeah. maybe that's my, my life. You know, mm. I've, I've been fortunate not to go, you know, completely into the water. I still had to take my medicine, but I've still come out yeah. of this okay. And I've got yeah. three holes to go here. You know, I, I can kind of enjoy myself because it seemed from that point forward, I mean, obviously we had the release of emotion on, on 17. We stick yeah. the tee shot and then 18 yeah. just seemed like a fucking fun walk, to be honest, mate. Like we yeah, just put right. it in the fairway and enjoyed. So those mm. last kind of three or four holes must have been a pretty surreal experience for you. Yeah, 15, I had a dog shit shot, like, from the middle of the fairway. It was perfect lie, easy pin to get to, just had to hit on the front left and two-putt for birdie. And I would have felt much better standing on 16. I didn't completely know where I was. I had, I thought, I knew I had nine shots standing on 15p, but Lou was playing decent, so there's no reason he could have birdied, like, the last four and fucking, and I could have bogeyed the last four and all everything changes. But, um, yeah, to hit that, that's like I hit it in the piss twice on 15. I, I, I never hit it in the piss in any round ever. And I made par both times and that was, that was huge. But like just when you, I think any golfer will tell you this, but when, when you win or if you're doing really well, it's like when you take your medicine like that, I could have tried to hit it, left it in the hazard, taken seven, maybe still one, but not quite in the fashion that I did it. And I took the drop because I was like, I just need to get up and there for par. I could still, I'm back, I back me up, back myself to get up and there for par. I hold that, yeah, 20, 22, 23 footer. And it just, 
it looked sick. I saw the replay and it looked sick when that went in. And um, yeah, I was able to pass 16, 17, 18. So, did anything? The biggest. Sorry, you go, mate. You finish. Yeah, sorry. The biggest thing I wanted to do once I knew where, what all the history was is just break that, like the winning margin. I just mm. wanted to break that. The scoring record would have been cool to have, definitely. But um, to equal that and then smash the. Um, to beat the um, yeah the winning margin was something I was that definitely had my eyes on. And I mean, with the greatest respect to Peter Lonard at Nick Ahern, Nick Ahern's been a great guest on this podcast. It's way better to say that you beat Greg Norman's record than it is yeah. to beat Nick Ahern and Peter <laughs> oh, yeah. Nick, I saw Nick for the first time. I actually met him for the first time this week, and yeah, bloody legend. Um, Lovely fellow. Obviously, yeah, he's he's so involved. And I think now with um, Australian golf and obviously Australian commentary. That um, yeah, hopefully it continues to move forward for him, and and obviously the industry as well. But yeah, to tie his record and 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 um, smash Greg Norman's record was pretty sick. Did anything surprise you about the way that you played across the four days? Because it it didn't seem to have an area of weakness. Like you did some things outstandingly well, but you didn't mm. let yourself down in any area of the game. And I read another quote from you that said when you were entering Thursday, you just didn't want to miss the cut on your home track because you thought that would be yeah. embarrassing. So to come out oh, and, yeah. and finish at 22 under, you know, you look at things like I think through 54 holes, you only had 78 putts, which is pretty fucking stupid, to be honest. Um, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah there you go. So less <laughs> than 80 putts through 54 holes is ridiculous. That's you know, you, you drove exceptionally well. You scrambled well when you needed to. Was there any part of your game that surprised you how well you played across the four days? Um, I think when you putt that well, you like I putted unbelievable. Um, yeah, I drove the ball unbelievable, and that that kind of took it apart from tee to green. I just was able to have such easy approaches because I drove the ball so well. Um, but I just putted like that. Obviously, that's what holds rounds of golf together, and that's what makes rounds of golf is your putting. Like if you drive it, um, like as well as I did. I oh, know I'm patting myself in the back with that, but I, <laughs> I did. I drove it fucking awesome, and I, I putted even better. It, um, and I couldn't have asked for yeah a better performance from the tee box and then on the greens as well. Hitting it into the greens around there, 20 feet sometimes is a really, really good goal shot. So it's not like you're hitting into a green into Wombo and it, it spins back to a foot every time or whatever, but... Yeah, sometimes 20, 20 feet there is good and you have to make putts to, to win golf tournaments. And I look back and I think to all the tournaments I've played well, it's I've driven the ball unbelievable and I've putted unbelievable. So the iron play can be somewhat off. And it wasn't wasn't the best I've had ever, my iron play, but it's definitely the best I've driven the golf ball under the pump and it's the best I've ever putted under the pump. Mate, uh, I, the prize money is obviously, you know, certainly public knowledge is around, you know, to, as to what, you know, you walk away with. And, and for anyone, 180 grand is is life-changing money. But for a kid, yeah. I call you a kid, you're probably fucking bigger than me and Marshy. But, um, <laughs> Not probably. Yeah, no, actually, definitely. <laughs> for, for, for a guy your age, I mean, that's, that's an incredible sum of money. Uh, I, I mean, how does that set you up, I guess, financially moving forward for the future for what you want to achieve with your golf 
I've seen on the internet um, an article that mentioned what your your first purchase is going to be, but maybe you can inform everyone else what your first purchase is going to be. <laughs> how does that how does that set you up for the next couple of years anyway? So I'm playing Nudgy Golf Club this week, and to get there quickest, I can use fucking tolls now. <laughs> <laughs> Previously, I couldn't bloody afford tolls, so I'll definitely be putting some money in my linked account so I can use that bloody toll. Um, is that, uh, j- just to clarify, we'll be going through the Clem 7 and then potentially across um, the gateway or, or just yeah, the gateway? Yeah. I'll use both all week just because, you know, just because I can. Just because I fucking can. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for people to hear this. They're just going to think I'm a wanker. <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I'm probably going to buy, I'm hopefully going to buy a king-size bed. Mate, you could buy 180 king size beds. <laughs> just so my uh, girlfriend stops kicking me in the middle of the night. Yeah, I was going to say, Ellie will be happy. Um, she'll be thrilled. Yeah, she, she'll be keen. But um, yeah, I think I, I think that's the only thing I really want. I, I don't spend money like it's going out of fashion, really, because one, I'm going to need it for the next year because there's going to be um, hopefully a few more trips to overseas, both the US and Europe. Um, this, yeah, this sets up a little bit more opportunity and opens shitloads of doors that I'm going to need plenty of money for. So, yeah, I'll, I'll buy a new bed. I might be buy um, a new pair of Iron Worms boots just because I've, I've got a pair there, but just because, you know, I don't know. Upgrade. Upgrade. Yeah, just to, I bought the cheap ones. So I bought the $600 ones. Obviously, it's not cheap, but um, nearly sent myself broke doing it. But they got these premier series things out there, a thousand bucks. And you got to get your I'm dress like, ups. You got to get your dress up, RMs. <laughs> well, yeah, my dress dress ups. Yep. Yeah, your dress up, RMs. How um, yeah. you mentioned you mentioned the year ahead. Have you let yourself? Um, I, I mean, you know, we can talk frankly here. I don't think anyone's catching you on the order of merit, and I think you're you're absolutely assured of wrapping up one of those DP World Tour cards, being um, yeah. they go to the top three on the order of merit. Has there been a point in the last two days you've let yourself kind of cast your mind forward to what the year looks like? And obviously you've got some decisions to make as well around heading off to potentially Corn Ferry to school as well. So I suppose it's opened a lot of doors, right? And and I'm sure yeah. there's been moments for you in the last day or two where you've thought, shit, um, the money's great, 180 grand's fantastic, but it's probably more the opportunities at an early stage of your career that it's opened up that I, I would imagine are more impressive to you. Yeah, well... Um, it's funny, I've told this story a couple of times now, but my mum made us all, all of our, I'm one of four kids and we had a big family Christmas, she made us all write down and put it in an envelope, what we wanted to achieve in the one year, um, in that, in that whole calendar year. And I put down last year to achieve a, um, a, a touring card. So I got that luckily in Australia. And then this year I put in there already, I put in there to make a hundred grand and I've, yeah, blitz that. So that was pretty sick. But can you start setting yourself some difficult goals, please, mate? What's going on? <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'll make a hundred grand in Australia. That's that's a pretty good effort. That's a lot of good goals, um, especially with the purses of um, some of these events. Um, but yeah, the opportunities that it's created overseas is yeah, that's the biggest thing because I I wanted to make the hundred eighty grand, hundred grand, sorry, and I wanted to have the touring card. But the biggest thing is I just wanted so badly to have somewhere overseas to play because it's where all the talent and all the big money and tournaments is and 
history. History is overseas. There's obviously history in the big events here in Australia, but um, to be a world-class competitor, you've obviously got to compete uh, around the world and start chasing all the Aussie boys out on tour. Last uh, last one from me, mate, before we let you go. Your ranking, just FYI, I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but it's gone from 1,515th the week prior up to 210th in the world. So I'm not sure there's ever been a bigger jump uh, that we've seen yeah. on this podcast anyway, but uh, 210th in the world, mate, it's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually tell you why it's jumped so big. I didn't know this until today. Well, one, because I've only got probably four events in there that that count towards my um, professional world ranking. But mm. so the PGA actually pushed this week to have, so they get double points for um, one event and they chose the Aussie event, uh, sorry, the Australian Open every year to get the double points for world ranking points. Just because obviously it's the prestige event. Um, but because it hasn't happened in the two last two years and it, I don't know if it's happening this year, um, they pushed pretty hard for me to, for the winner of this week to get double points. And funnily enough, on Monday, uh, Nick das, Datsy um, said that. Oh, and Kim Felton, they they confirmed that it got yeah it got double world ranking points. So I've I've had the fucking week of my life. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm just it is just it's never ending. Some all the shit that I've got gained from this week and. I have no idea why it's happened to me. Um, everything <laughs> seems to have had, have just lined up so perfectly for this one week. Um, hopefully it does a couple more weeks of this year. It'd be great. And yeah, I'm just so over the moon and the, the accolades of it, I think just, yeah, they just keep coming. I don't even know all these things and I keep getting reminded and told of all these things. And I'm just like, fuck, I'm just, Am I fucking the luckiest person on the earth? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, one more serious one before we finish on a few funnies. Um, yeah. Do you have any concept of what it will be like to walk back into Royal Queensland as a defending champion when we go through the PGA again at the end of this year and the expectation and the hype and the build-up to what that event will be? Because I think it's one thing to win, um, you know, our premier event in your fourth professional start. It's another thing yeah. to do that on your home track and to know that you're going back there again the following mm. year. So I know it's a while away, a lot of water under the bridge, and we've spoken about all the things that you got ahead of you this year, but I'm sure that you've already got that marked in the calendar and, and, and what that will be like to walk back in there, not just as an RQ member, but as a defending champion of Australian PGA. Yeah. I remember I had to defend, obviously, um, the Aussie amateur, and that was it was a bit different because it was changed to stroke play, but I did a shit job of defending that. I missed the cut, <laughs> <laughs> so I know somewhat what it's like to defend defend um, a championship that they've that you've won the year before. But yeah, I, I really don't know what to expect. It's it's yeah, the purse is up. Um, I'm sure there'll be. I hope there's international players so. The field's just stronger and there's, there's bigger crowds, there's higher attractions. Hopefully, after, I guess, what I've done this year, then, um, yeah, there's more. The crowds are bigger. I just want bigger crowds and I'm sure that everyone in Australia wants that and, and bigger sponsorships because we've got such an awesome country to play golf in. Like, we're not missing anything other than sponsorship. Like, 
if we just have this, if we had a similar amount of sponsorship to the US or the or Europe, like no Aussie would leave Australia. It's just that fucking good here. Um, and I'm, I'm sure everyone on that tour will second that. But obviously the reason you want to play overseas is, one, the competition, but two, it's there, yeah, there's bigger money. So I just hope this event and the tour just continues to grow forward and I hope um, all of us players can make a positive impact on that in the next few years with yeah, the relationship they've got going with the DP world. Fingers crossed you can return the favour and host Smithy at your house next year when he comes back to play, <laughs> play at the PTA. No, there is no way that he will say that he's staying at my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A uh, couple of quick ones to finish. If you had to try and predict what year in the 2030s do you think it will be before you pay for another drink at Royal Queensland? <laughs> 2030s. Fuck. Um, 2039. There you go. Good. Excellent. Uh, second, have you had any contact from the Lockyer uh, Valley Shire Council about shutting down Fairway Drive and Hutton Vale for a ticket tape parade? <laughs> I actually haven't just yet. I'll be putting a request. I would have thought so. And just finally, <laughs> um, and this requires you potentially to throw someone under the bus. Actually, no, there's two more. Uh, secondly, second, lastly, how quickly, either in person or via text, did you message your good mate Louis Dobler after smashing his course record uh, the day after? He held it for 24 <laughs> hours and you thought, no, bugger that. Uh, I'll take that back. Thanks very much. Yeah, that was just another fucking bullshit thing that happened. I just, like, I hold a 12-footer <laughs> on the last for it too and I sort of wasn't thinking about it and I got told after oh, you just beat Louis's record. Um, I felt good because I didn't want that little prick to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, um, especially, yeah, over me by one shot. Um, uh, yeah. Neither of us hate, lo- hate losing to uh, – not neither of us like losing to each other. So, yeah, I think we just, we just make each other better. I'm sure Spaghetti Arms will love that. And just finally, <laughs> uh, and this might require you to throw someone close down on the bus, but I'm just curious um, as to which member of your inner circle do you think has enjoyed this moment the most? Because – there's a couple of examples here. Your, your brother Link couldn't wait to get himself on television by jumping all over you on the 18th green on yeah. Sunday afternoon. Um, your beautiful mum, Julie, has been incredibly active on the social media. I think we've got more DMs from her than we've ever had from you in the last 24 <laughs> to 48 hours. Has she been messaging you guys? Yeah, we're, Jules and us are great friends. We're, uh, we're, we're, uh, yeah. we're, we're grandmates, which is excellent. Uh, it's been fantastic to see her passion, but she's certainly enjoyed the moment, I think, as any proud mum would. And then, as you mentioned, um, Ellie may be overindulged more than anyone. So I'm just wondering which member of your inner circle you think enjoyed the moment um, even more than you did. Uh, probably Lincoln. Like, he was a tosser. He, he's, not, he, he's on the piss since, I guess, like 12 o'clock that day. So an 18-year-old 18 on the piss in front of a crowd that he's comfortable in front of. <laughs> it just is a recipe for disaster. So, um, yeah, he loved it. My mum tried to get on the speaker at the golf club. Oh, so funnily enough, Lincoln, Lincoln snatched the speaker, uh, the microphone out of my hand, dropped a couple of F-bombs and a couple of members nearly dropped dead. <laughs> <laughs> my mother tried to get on there and that probably would have been worse. So I said, no, you're not getting on here. And then, yeah, obviously Ellie, um, Ellie can't handle her piss. So, um, yeah, I reckon all three of, three of them enjoyed it pretty equally. You were the adult. Oh. Well, yeah. Well, based off that, I'm looking forward to the Julie Morgan interview on the 19th Day podcast. That'll be outstanding. Oh, don't be doing that. <laughs>
look, mate, we uh, we're very grateful for your time. Um, you, you, we should probably let you go to bed in the in the little. What are you rocking, the Queen? It's obviously clearly not a king, but uh, you've got a tournament to play this week. Yeah, you're rocking the yeah, Queen. I'm rocking the Queen. I think, um, I mean, obviously you've got parents, but I think for Drews and I, this is like a proud parent moment to see you go on and achieve uh, the way <laughs> the way in which you have this week, mate. It was awesome. Not only to uh, be out there and watch it in person uh, myself, but also then to see, you know, just how you went about your business across the weekend. So, a massive congratulations from us. We very much look forward to seeing what the rest of the summer looks forward to, and then obviously the rest of the year. And uh, I, I think that this may become a hopefully semi regular thing when you win and you come on this podcast because it's been a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys have got an awesome thing going here, and it's definitely yeah the funnest podcast I've had on. Um, Funnest, most fun I've had on a podcast, yeah, in like ever. So, anytime you want me on here, I'm happy to get on and have a yarn to you. So, thank you for having me again. Maybe next time you just don't need to piss on my intro. Just, just <laughs> we'll maybe you right just get your facts time. right. Yeah, exactly right. Get it fucking right. <laughs> Look, mate, you've had a pretty fucking good weekend. I just, just, you just don't have to pull me up on these sorts of things. All right. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> good on you, Jedi. Thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, we, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Rudy. Thanks, Kieran. I'll see you boys later, eh? Well, there he is, Drudes. Jed Morgan, your 2022 Australian PGA champion. Look, I know we we kind of picked it apart in great detail there with Jed, but probably just your immediate thoughts. Uh, we cover golf on this podcast from around the world, men's and women's, uh, week in, week out. And honestly, when I sat there watching the closing holes on Sunday, I was scratching my head to recall a more complete performance that we've seen in recent memory. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good call. Um, I mean, 22 under par, just enormously in control across four rounds as well. 11-shot victory is is enormous at any level, let alone at our major event of the year, I guess. So, yeah, it was... It was dominant. I don't think there's any other way that you can describe it other than dominant. I mean, to set the course record, I mean, got to feel a little bit for Louis Dobler to set the course record and then have it taken away from him the very next day. But yeah, he, I can't think of a better word to describe it than, than domination from Jed Morgan. It's interesting, isn't it? Four scores in the 60s, obviously Sunday, the, the worst of the four at 69, but at no stage did it really slip away. Uh, and to be fair, it was pretty unassuming to start round one. Uh, I think he really got the ball rolling with his eagle at 12 on that first day, and, and he kind of gathered a bit of momentum to finish. I think it was two shots back from Louis uh, on that first day. But from that point forward, I, I mean, you and I were talking, joking on Saturday night, can he be caught? No, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, out, out the gate, here on Sunday, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a birdie on the first and it was pretty much a coronation from that point forward. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, there's no doubt the the course certainly helped him. Yeah. Great course knowledge, home track advantage. But I, I think that's, that's where there were plenty of other guys in the field who had played this course plenty of times before. Um, and he just managed to take advantage of it the best. Um, so I think what was really pleasing as well, was the putting. I think that's been, I, I'm, I vaguely recall in our first conversation that we'd had with him, that his putting was something that he was really trying to work on. There was a, an absurd stat through th- three rounds that they put out on the broadcast that he'd only had 72 putts or something. I don't know what he, I think across it was. three rounds. 70, 78 putts in 54 
holes. Yeah, enormous. Um, so definitely had the the putter rolling really well, as did a lot of guys across the course of the week. But I mean, I'm just having a look here at his scorecard again. Two bogeys on the front nine across the course of the week, and four across the back nine. So six bogeys in a tournament that is so highly regarded in Australian golf is enormous for for and, such a young guy. And three of those six coming in the final round. Yeah. So he had three, <laughs> three bogeys across 54 holes, the third of which, Drudes, came on the 54th hole. It was his 18th hole on Saturday. Yeah. And that ended a run of 40 consecutive holes without dropping a shot. Like, yeah, it was just, I, I keep coming back to complete performance because you mentioned the putter. He was strong off the tee. Uh, his second shot, which we spoke about in the preview, you know, Mackenzie course, what's one of the, the central characteristics is the importance of the second shot. Mm. It's not just about positioning yourself properly to attack the green. It's about knowing which club to pull and knowing how to attack the shot. And he had it in complete control. His wedges from around the green, his recovery shots. Like There wasn't a weak element to his game. Some were stronger than others, but he didn't let himself down in any facet. No, he didn't. And I think what, pleased me most about this performance and changing tact a little bit from his golf is just his energy that he brought. You know, you would have seen it firsthand in round one, but so evident through the broadcast that he was pumped up and about lots of fist pumps, lots of come ons, lots of getting the, the, the members of Royal Queensland uh, up and about as well. And that was just so refreshing to see. Like we don't see that often at the PGA to a level, um, so for a young guy to really come out of his shell on the biggest stage that there is in our game in, in Australian golf anyway, was so refreshing to see. And something that I think is going to make him even more popular than he already is. The yeah, baby on the 17th <laughs> tee on Sunday afternoon might've been my, my favorite part of the weekend. I, obviously I asked him about it there in the interview, but uh, again, I just want to flag this quote. Um, story from Tony Wiebeck, a good friend of the podcast, uh, that he wrote in the aftermath of the win. And there's a quote from Jed that says, the best thing I've done this week is just be myself. And I think that speaks volumes about the, I suppose, the circumstances that you just described because I'll tell you something I witnessed on Thursday and that was, I think he was a little uncomfortable Mm. because obviously he'd been in that scenario before, incredibly popular member at Royal Queensland. You know, we spoke to him back at back into 2020, just after he'd won the Australian Amateur at the course and, and obviously well-supported, but nothing like what he experienced across the last four days in terms of mm. not just the number of people, but obviously the television cameras, the commitments around pre- and post-round interviews. And I don't necessarily know that it was altogether comfortable out the gate for him. It was a little awkward, to be honest. Like I watched him come to 17 on Thursday and, and the gallery at the back in the stadium lit up chanting his name. It was like something out of the gladiator. It was Jed, Jed, Jed. And he kind of like, he, he was enjoying it, but I, I think it was just a little uncomfortable. And yeah. you definitely felt in round two, he just kind of let the shackles go. And that was a direct correlation with how low he went. I mean, 63 course record on, on Friday. And how comfortable he was. He just, I think he just let himself go to the moment and wasn't conscious of how he was appearing on the broadcast or if he was, you know, being too exuberant for golf, if there's such a thing. 
And that quote, I think, you know, the best thing I've done this week is just be myself is for mine. That's that's a highlight of what's come out of the last 24 hours and, and all the things we've heard from him. You see how comfortable he was to express himself in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And you're completely right. That stuck out to me. There was a great interview that he did with uh, Ewan Porter. I think it was on Saturday morning. I'm pretty sure it was Saturday morning on the range. And he just couldn't answer the questions because he was so flustered by it all. And he was like, oh, fuck, I've just got to relax. I like Ewan said, oh, what do you, what do you need to do over the next you know, uh, 36 holes? And he said, basically not do what I'm not, do, not do what I'm doing now and get flustered by the moment. Um, so that was, it was just funny bits like that, that you, you remember that this is a kid who's, you know, so young and so uh, close to the beginning of his golfing journey as a professional to go out and do what he did was, was truly remarkable. And I don't think, I think within golfing circles, it's probably got the, the, the love it deserves, but more broadly from the broader Australian media, I don't think people have given it the attention that it really deserves, to be honest. No, well, he's, he's vaccinated, mate. So he's not a sports star that's <laughs> getting any sort of attention at the moment. He's not getting deported. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, you talked about um, some of the stats. You look at some of the records he broke. So youngest ever winner of the PGA Championship, the highest ever winning margin previously held by Greg Norman at eight strokes. He, he, he tops that. He smashes that with 11. And he equals at 22 under the, the scoring record of the tournament in his fourth start as a professional. Mm. So your mind can't help but wonder. I saw another great stat from Tony Weaver. Again, geez, he's been busy, Tony, in the last 24 hours. His world ranking jumped more than 800 spots. I think he yeah. was somewhere between 1,000 and 1,100, and he's in the 200s now, courtesy of that win on the weekend. Uh, obviously, and we, we mentioned this to him in the chat, um, but the opportunities that it opens, you know, top three now in the order of merit as per the announcement just before the start of the tournament will receive their DP World Tour cards. There is no tournament for the remainder of the season or any part of the season that comes close to the purse mm-hmm. here at the PGA. So he will... He will have to go a long way not to be one of those three. Yeah, I think he's pretty much locked it up, I think. And the doors, Drew, that that opens um, for such a young guy, for a guy that's clearly, whilst um, extroverted, incredibly grounded, and that's, mm. not a, that's not an easy thing to do is be brash and be confident mm. but have your two feet firmly planted on the ground. No, it's refreshing. It's very refreshing to see in golf because so often we get the introverted and that's it, or we get the very extroverted. And I think he's got such a level head on him for such a young guy. He's got a massive future ahead of him. The next challenge is obviously going to Europe and seeing what he can do over there. And then hopefully one day the States, but again, so young to be holding the Joe Kirkwood um, above his head. Um, he he was so proud to be holding it, and yeah, I, I was just filled with pride watching it. I was so pumped um, to to see a guy that obviously we've kept in touch with and we've spoken to plenty of times. Um, but yeah, just one of the true nice guys of golf, and super super pumped for him. It's funny, you know, and this would be the final um, thing I want to say about Jed is it was clear to me um, in person on Thursday, and then watching the broadcast over the final three days and then in the last half an hour that we've just spent with him, that he is the exact same guy that we spoke to Mm. more than a year ago and close to 100 episodes ago as an amateur 
um, who just won the Australian Amateur. He has not changed a bit, down to the fact that, you know, he got back to us the day after he won the Australian PGA in his Instagram DMs. Yeah. I said, yeah, boys, love to have a chat. I think and- it might be his girlfriend still running that, just yeah. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it is. Good on you, Ellie. Uh, but if, and I have no doubt this will be the case, if he can maintain that, I think that will take him further in his golf career than any any shot that he plays, any you know deal that he strikes. It will be remaining true to who he is. That will be the core of his success because it's taken him this far in four starts and I shudder to think how far it could take him across the course of his career. Uh, it's very well put. I completely agree with you. That rounds out Jed, I think. <laughs> yeah, comfortably. Uh, Who else did you want to mention? Just oh, on look, the think, side before we get to Suo. Yeah, and obviously there's there's plenty to touch on with Suo, a remarkable performance um, in and of itself. The WPGA, look, looking down the leaderboard, um, I do want to make mention of Andrew Dote. So 35-year-old, um, Nova Castrian, looks a little out of place um, when you look at the other... Uh, gentleman in the top four in terms of Morgan Dobler Lee, um, young Australian um, shooting stars. Uh, Dodie's been around for quite some time. I think uh, they said uh, 2016. He was also a runner-up at the Australian PGA. He so he actually played alongside uh, Waza uh, in the group with Jared Felton on the first two days. So I watched a bit of him on Thursday. Incredibly unassuming, um, but remarkably consistent. So you would have seen it, uh, particularly on, on Sunday, playing alongside Jed. None of the bells and whistles, Dodie. He just goes about his business. But, you know, to plug away, and um, we spoke about those three DP World Tour cards available for the Order of Merit, he would, he would be pretty close now with some consistent performances in the next couple of weeks. Wrapping up that second spot when the wobbles were on a little bit in the back nine and, and Louis Double was coming strong, Huge performance from him and, and could be quite significant in terms of what his season looks like next year. Yeah, 100%. Not a sexy golfer, is he? He's just <laughs> uh, goes about his business and but hits the ball incredibly pure, as did Louis Dobler. Um, obviously, you were out there, so you've probably got a better handle on things, but um, played really nicely, obviously, across those first two two rounds in, um, in particular. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it's just, Consistent goal from Louis, and I think that was really pleasing to see. It was excellent, um, particularly that that first day. Uh, I caught him off the tee, and I work, walked the first with him, but then I doubled back to make sure I got the first couple of holes with Waza. And as much as I love the Wizard, it was hard not to be drawn in by the, the momentum that was the, the doubler train. So got on that, as you would have seen on the stories, and, and followed him for his back nine, and it was a near faultless display. Obviously, ended up being the course record 64 um, that lasted for all of 24 hours, um, and highlighted by that that uh, that that donkey and eagle on the mm. second, which is comfortably. And there was a lot of great shots out there this week, Drudes, but that's that's comfortably my short shot shot of the week. Agree. Is the is the the hole out eagle on two? Um, I just think, unfortunately for him, I mean, if you look at it in isolation and you take out Jed which sounds strange given he won the tournament, but, you know, you can throw a blanket over the rest of the guys, 11 under his second, and then you've got 10, a couple of nines, a couple of eights, a couple of sevens. So, you know, Louis, on a normal weekend, when you don't have a guy who equals the scoring record of the tournament, he's right at the pointy end. 
and I think he'll rue some missed opportunities on on Saturday. That 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 kind of back nine on Saturday really cost him um, to probably apply a little bit more pressure on Jed. But really happy for him in the way he performed. And I, I just want to give him a shout out. He was the first guy out in the green for mm. Jed on Sunday mm. afternoon. Um, you know, he'd wrapped up two groups earlier, probably disappointed given how he started the tournament with how he ended it. And in the space of 10 minutes, had the had the wherewithal to, to gather himself, grab a bottle of champagne and go and shower one of his best mates in the game, which I think speaks volumes to him as, a, as an individual. He had a bit of trouble with the champagne. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you, watched, if you saw that. Yeah, wasn't the wasn't greatest the spray. No. But uh, he is coming back on the pod in a few weeks, so we'll have to bail him up and you know, get him some... Some lessons. Uh, who else did you want to mention? I just wanted to make note of uh, Minwoo Lee. I thought, I mean, four rounds under par, mm. um, 68, 70, 69, 68. I probably expected a little better from him. I know, and to your point there, if you take Jed Morgan out of the, the equation, it is finishing in a tie for third. I just would have thought a player of his stature inside the top 50 in the world would have applied a little more pressure. Um, he certainly struggled early on there was no doubt that there were some times where he didn't look comfortable particularly on the greens I think he was driving the ball really well but his putting certainly let him down um, don't know if that's fair to say from from what you saw of uh, of the great man I think the course got him a little bit mm. uh, he had some interesting comments pre-tournament of his having played a couple of warm-up rounds and then the pro-am he said it was quirky and I liked mm. that because mm. it is like I don't necessarily think broadcast and definitely the, the content that I posted on our channels on Thursday went anywhere close to doing that course justice of what it's like actually on the ground and we'll get to that moment but I just think the course got to him a little bit um, definitely improved as the weekend went along obviously nearly aces the, the 17th on mm-hmm. uh, yeah on Sunday uh, and that would have been uh, or was that Saturday uh, Saturday Sunday, Saturday so and that would have been remarkable really um, would have lifted the roof off. I said, I think I said it would have drunk the place dry. I've got no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just think the course, the course took some prisoners over the weekend. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about that. And you only have to look at the amount of doubles and triples on the scorecard to see that um, certainly by no means something you could just plot your way around and post a score. Um, it required clearly a little bit of local knowledge, but also a bit of conviction in your shots. And yeah, I think he, with his time again, um, would have loved to go lower. Uh, but I also think the way that he finished bodes well for his next few weeks to jump straight on a plane over to Abu Dhabi into the European Tour event this week, and I'm sure you'll get his season off to a good start. DP World Tour, thanks, mate. Um, put a dollar in the jar. Um, just a couple of other names I wanted to make mention of friends of the pod. Uh, Aaron Pike started so oh. well. Um oh. Yeah, just pl- that first round was really electric. And then I think it kind of, I don't know, he's maybe a little bit of in- indicative of where Pikey is at, the poor bloke in his career. I mean, with a 74 on Saturday, that really sort of hurt his chances, albeit the tournament was done and dusted. But just electric that first day. Um, and then, yeah, there was some, there were a couple of little moments in the broadcast that I saw where people were heckling him from the crowd. Um, I think he was being heckled about the state of origin or something. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So uh, he hit a shot. I think it was on two on maybe Saturday or it could have even been Sunday actually. And yeah, as soon as he hit the shot, he just whipped around and like stared someone down. 
And then you and Porter was walking in that group and said, yeah, someone's just heckled him about the state of origin, which is a fucking weird heckle because the bloke originates from Darwin. So anyway. Also, like there's probably a number of people I'd line up for a heckle before Pikey in that yeah. field. He's the nicest the guy sh- there. Also scares the shit out of me, to be yeah. honest. He does. Uh, he, he was electric on, on Thursday, you know, 665 um, was, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, and obviously the best of the best until Louis Dobler came along and, and shoots the course record and beats him by one. But I, Pikey, I think I agree with Rui's his missed opportunities on Saturday. I had a very brief chat to him post-Sunday and, and uh, I think a little bit dirty and, and keen to make amends. It backs up again straight away this week at the Queensland PGA at the Nudgee Golf Club. So he'll be, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him contend there again. Um, hit the ball really, really pure. That was actually a really um, entertaining group to watch a bit of. It was him and um, Kirsten Rudgley, the amateur from WA, who hits a big ball mm. um, on the WPGA side. That was a really entertaining group to walk around for a few holes on Thursday. So, yeah, credit to Pikey. It was uh, it was great to see his name at the pointy end there mm. for, for, for a little while. It was. A couple more just for me because we're going to get to the women's side and I want to get your takes before we get to an interview that we've got. Uh, Jake McLeod. Uh, I thought that was good to see eight under um, disappointing Sunday one over, but um, I thought there were some positive signs there for Jake. And then shout out Hayden Barron first start as a pro finishes T 12 takes home 17 grand at six under par alongside my tip, which was Elvis smiley, probably a little disappointing from Elvis um, at at times, but you know, certainly a young player who's only going to learn and, and, um, and grow from that experience. That's probably everyone that I really wanted to shout out. I mean, there's heaps of people who didn't make the cut that are friends of the pod and whatnot, but was there anyone else from the men's side? So I'll echo your thoughts on Jake McLeod, 67-67 Friday, Saturday. It's probably mm-hmm. the best golf we've seen out of him in some time. Mm-hmm. And he looked like the guy that won his way onto the European Tour a few years ago by topping the Australian Order of Merit. Yeah, yep. uh, And that was really nice to see you know, a local Queenslander playing well in front of a Queensland crowd. So hopefully that bodes well for his um, next few months in Europe itself. Um, agree, re uh, Hayden Barron, awesome Sunday. Like that's, you know, to, he, he scraped into the cut, which is great in your, in your first start as a pro. And all you can ask is to get better as the tournament goes along. And his Sunday was unreal. Similarly, and I want to shout out another friend of the pod, Brett Rankin, mm-hmm. who was Unreal. So Sunday was 65 for, for Brett. That's a six under and, and shot himself up the leaderboard. So he finishes in a tie for nine, um, a shot ahead of Hayden Barron. Uh, Elvis was – I watched a fair bit of Elvis on that first day because um, he was in a group with – and this is going to test my memory. Um, oh, that's shocking. Couldn't tell you. No, he might have been because it was Clates was on his bag. He didn't have Grace Kim because Grace Kim was with Jeff Ogilvy on the first day. I think he might have been with Sue O because I remember the broadcast on Friday talking about the fact Clates caddied for it at Rio. So it was Sue O and someone else. That's terrible. That's okay. There's been a lot of golf. His his rhythm is aspirational. Mm. It's um, so there's there's some rough edges around the sides of Elvis's game, which is uh, completely understandable for a guy that's this young and so early in his pro career. And I think his swing is so sustainable for long term success. But holy moly, his his rhythm is unbelievable. 
Um, it was a pleasure to watch him up. Up close, Gailey. I just want to make a special mention of Gailey. Um, a typical golf horse performance. It, it had its highest of highs. and Crescendo. And much like Icarus at times, he flew a little too close to the sun. Uh, but shit, he hit some impressive shots. <laughs> How's uh, the and bump and run with the three wood? The chipping. <laughs> That's awesome. And I don't know if you saw because obviously it came up on the, on the broadcast, but then he shared on his Instagram story someone who was at the course with video behind him. And yeah. he knew. Like he knew from five or six meters out, he had the hand up in there, he's walking towards yeah. it in typical Gale Force fashion. So yeah. great to see Gailey. Love it. Um, the only other person I want to make mention of, and it seems odd, um, it's just because he, he holds a, a very special place in our heart, and that's Wazza. Mm. Wazza had a, had, a, had a tough run, didn't make did. the weekend, um, and certainly didn't, uh, he didn't walk away with his head out of eye. He was, he was dirty on himself, and I can say that firsthand, but. Uh, just you know, a guy that we we root for um, pretty strongly, and really really great to get the opportunity to walk around with him on Thursday um, and see him go about his business. So, just a shout out to Was. Um, thanks for his company and thanks for getting me in the door. Thanks, Was. What about on the women's side? Suo ten under four shot winner over Grace Kim. Just really, uh, I think we said Jed Morgan was dominant. I think Suo the the word that comes to mind was classy. For me, um, just yeah. yeah, I don't know. She just strikes the ball so incredibly well. Again, the putter was so good, and just the way that she was able to to overcome a pretty poor Friday by her standards. One over par mm. seventy two, had two uh, rounds uh, on Friday and Saturday on the back nine, both over par. Um, mm. So really did a, a lot of work on the front nine. Had a 32 on Saturday on the front nine. So um, was in some vein of form. But, yeah, I don't know, just a really classy performance from Suo. She is um, an immense talent uh, and I think probably doesn't get enough accolades in the in the golfing space, obviously up against some really big names in Minji Lee and Hannah Green, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, uh, just really happy for Suo. She was incredibly silky to watch yeah. out there in that group alongside Elvis and the person I can't remember from Thursday. <laughs> uh, yeah, she, so I think what will get lost in this conversation is the fact that with the withdrawal of her good friend, best friend, Hannah Green, uh, and then the late withdrawal as a result of the positive COVID diagnosis of Steph Kuriaku, I think the pressure was heaped on Suo mm. on Thursday morning, probably, um, Sarah Jane Smith was the other one that there would have been a bit of expectation around. And that's purely because the remainder of the field was with the greatest respect to a lot of good friends of the podcast who've been on just unproven Mm. so far, so early in their careers. Uh, And it would have been easy for Sue, I think to, um, you know, to, to maybe be a little bit rattled by that pressure, but she took everything in her stride. She had Grace Kim at many stages ahead of her and at the stages she wasn't breathing down her neck and biting at her heels an incredible composure. I want to make special mention of her shot from off the green on 13 uh, on Sunday, you know, in a spot where you're absolutely dead on that course mm. uh, and had watched, you know, Andrew Doe did a similar shot and rolls the putter from off the green straight in the middle of the cup. And she, she wouldn't know that Grace ahead of her had dropped shots, but that was a defining moment for me. Yeah. That was really the sealer. And, you know, she goes in. How did she go in from there? She went. Um, pa, 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 birdie. And that's all she needed to do. But that shot, I think, really 
sent her home. So um, awesome to watch up close. She's so um, so early in her LPGA career. I think it's a promising one. I also just want to make special mention of the fact um, that she's the inaugural winner of the Kari Web Cup. Um, and also as a previous holder of the Kari Web Scholarship, they enjoy a very close relationship. I, I wouldn't understate what that meant to her mm. um, to, to be the first winner of the Kari Web Cup. Um, and what an honour it should be to any golfer of this country to win a cup named in, in honour of our greatest ever player. Uh, I'm sure that was incredibly special. She made mention specifically of looking forward to getting back over to Florida and celebrating with her in the very near future. So, yeah, she was awesome to watch um, go go better business on Thursday and, and for the remainder of the weekend and a very worthy winner. Sarah Jane Smith was probably a little disappointing on, on Sunday by her standards, um, was in... You know, in with a chance uh, and then finished third at four under. The two I want to make note of is obviously Grace Kim uh, finishing in second place. Uh, she had two uh, two back nines, um, again, Saturday and Sunday, where she shot over par 37. She had a double both days. Uh, on the Saturday, it was on uh, the par 5 15th and on Sunday, the par 4 13th. So incredibly disappointing for Grace. Obviously, I was cheering for her to get over the line over Suo. No disrespect to Sue if she's listening. But uh, And then Karis Davidson, I thought, you know, for such a young player, showed a lot of maturity um, to really bounce back from a one-over pass Saturday to, to fire a three-under 68 to finish and um, finish in the top five as well. So they're just the two that I wanted to to shout out from, from, the, uh, from the female side. Yeah, and I echo your thoughts on Grace. She's obviously my tip uh, last mm. week, so... For more than one reason, I was shouting on the television on Sunday afternoon. She was so impressive to watch up close. I reticent to heap any sort of expectation on or pressure on where I think the trajectory of Grace Kim might go, but I, I don't say this lightly. Reminded me an awful lot of Nellie Corder mm. to watch up close, and and there's a variety of things there. I think it's a, it's the build, it's that long limb um, build, it's the swing, which she's not like. She's not hitting the cover off the ball, but all of her power is generated out of the momentum of the big swing arc. Yeah, and it's just it's it's so pure. It looks effortless. The distance she gets off the tee, the control she has with her irons and puts the ball well. Honestly, like there were times I had to have a double take. It looked a lot like watching Nelly Quarter. So she's still got a bit of growing up to do, Grace. Yeah. You know that's how early she is in her career, and and yeah, I'm. I'm really bullish about where she'll go, um, you know, when she gets in kind of into her early 20s. And then Karis was awesome to watch, particularly on the greens, like her composure with with the putter in hand. She sunk some big putts, um, particularly early in the week. And I'm sure that there'll be elements for the game she'd be disappointed with that would have got her closer. But, you know, she heads back over the LPGA self um, and I'll be really interested to watch how she goes because it's, it's another step up again. Mm. Uh, but really seemed to enjoy. That's why I think the thing that I took from walking around with her on Thursday, enjoyed the experience, never wasn't smiling, irrespective of the result of her shots. And I'll be interested to see how she just handles a bit more of the cut and thrust of the LPGA, but the two of them were awesome to watch. Um, Kirsten Rudgley in person is impressive. Mm. Like hits a heavy and a big ball. Yep. And, you know, we, we've seen countless um, examples of that overseas, you know, a tie to the cool Paddy Tavitanigat. You hit a long ball in the women's game, you got a massive leg up, and that's Kirsten Rudgley. 
Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I suppose others um, that 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 were impressive for me, although the, the score probably doesn't see Cassie Porter in her first event as a as a professional. Um, I think she she definitely did well in patches and and also Crystal Blum as well. So um, really enjoyed the opportunity to watch the WPGA on Thursday and across the weekend. Um, I'm a little torn about whether or not I would have liked to have seen Sue and Grace Kim go head to head in a group. On no, the I would day. have. I absolutely would have. That was one of the points that was probably a little disappointing in the way that it all kind of finished up. I think they, they could have done it, to be honest. Mm. I, I don't know. I agree with you. I would have loved to see it happen. It's, I, and I mean, I get the challenges of scheduling um, and groupings and a lot of it is dictated to by broadcast as well. Um, and then the, what do you do? Because obviously you've got a group. I think the second last group was McLeod, Michaluzzi and Kim was that second last group. I think I got that right. Yeah, I, think I think so, think possibly. Right. And so yep. then are, are, you, are you creating a group in between Dote? And Morgan and pulling up Michaluzzi and creating a women's group to sh- like I, it, I, it, it would have I think been a little bit messy, mm. but I don't know. I just think that there's a part of me that would have loved to have seen them in the same group on yeah. the broadcast. And I had a, I had someone message me a listener of the the podcast talk about it was a little disappointing to see Suo's moment overshadowed. Yeah, agree on the green on Sunday now. Don't get me wrong. I think that I, – so I agree. I think there's a lot of circumstances that surround that in terms of a guy playing in his home course, winning in his fourth start and winning by such a large margin. I don't know that would have been improved if she was literally the group before because it would have lasted for all of five yeah. minutes and then he's on the green and he's winning again. So I think, you know, circumstances conspired against it, but I did feel that. I felt like she put the putt in and it was kind of like, yeah, oh, God, because yeah. Jed's putting. You know, yep. and it was, yeah. It, yeah, it lost a bit of luster for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. They wouldn't have been able to do the champagne celebration or anything either if if they were a group yeah. ahead. So, absolutely. but uh, what are your takes from out there? You were you were on the ground, KM. I mean, I only got to see the broadcast. I mean, the broadcast <sighs> very briefly. I don't want to go into too much detail. I thought when uh, Thursday, Friday was really good. Come the weekend, it was fucking chockers with ads, little tidbits mm. of random shit that they tried to throw in. Um, I mean, we don't get a hell of a lot of golf broadcast over here, so. I mean, I've heard the no laying up guys bang on about ad loads for a long time, but um, I, maybe I kind of understood what they were talking about a little bit. Um, oh, mate, the fact that we cut away to an ad after the tee shot on eighteen, yeah, to come to come back literally as as Jed Morgan was standing over his ball, well, that's bad. That yeah, that, I agree. that that honestly for me. Um, because you wouldn't, I don't know how much you saw of this in the broadcast because I didn't see much of it, obviously, being out there the course of Thursday. But from 17 green, you actually had to walk back through. So you had the grandstand that was at the back of 17, but then you had like the the entertainment area to the left-hand side as you're looking at the hole mm-hmm. of 17. And that's where the, a couple of the bars were. The DJ was in there. You actually had to walk through that section to get to 18T. That's out the back. So for mine, it's a no-brainer. You do not break from the moment Jed Morgan walks off the tee at 17. You've got a camera on his shoulder walking through that. So he had to literally walk through the gallery to get to 18. And imagine what that footage would have been like. Instead, what we did was we cut to an ad. We got his tee shot. We cut to another ad. We didn't even get his walk up 
to his ball. No. Like for me, like I just I agree with you. The commercial load, it was the hit and giggle stuff. Like I can yeah. do with that, and I, I'm loathe to criticise because I know that there was probably a significant amount of money that came with it, but I can do without the activation from Sonic on the fourth tee where, like, we got groups coming through and the pros hit and then some random hits for charity. Now, outcome, great, but no one obviously got the million dollars for charity. Process, shit house, because all the momentum is killed by like, okay, we're going to get your three pros to hit and then we're going to all wait around to get someone on camera to hit. I, I, I saw in our messages, one of the players got hit James by Grierson. a ball. Yeah. James Grierson got Simpson. hit by a ball. Yeah. This is a guy playing in the tournament and a person in this hit and giggle activation has hit him with a ball. I thought it was farcical. Like what, what happens? What hole was it? 14? Four. 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 So say... Say the tournament's a bit closer than what it was. Say Andrew Dote, Jed Morgan going head-to-head, they're even. Jed sticks his shot to three feet. Andrew Dote, five feet. The This celebrity hits their shot and somehow knocks Jed's ball off the back of the green. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm all for the activation. Like, don't get me wrong. I thought I saw, I saw them doing it as a standalone segment, and mm. I thought that was it. But when you text me about it and they were like, you were like, there's play, there's celebrities hitting off. Like that can affect the outcome of the golf tournament. Like we nearly had also, someone retire hurt because of the fucking ball. Can we put it on Thursday? Yeah. Why, not Sunday. Why is it happening on Sunday? Yeah. I, I, I know why, because Sonic have paid top dollar to be in the final round yeah. and part of the broadcast and all that. Yeah. I don't give a shit how no. close Luke Hodge puts it to the pin on four. What I want to see is the build of momentum towards the end of the round. Yeah. Yeah. I have to stop after every three tee shots to ring up fucking Warren Smith out of the commentary team yeah. to hit a shot. Hit a good shot was, but don't care. No, don't I agree. Care. Completely Put agree. that shit on Thursday. Um, what was takes from on the ground? What was on yeah, the ground? So a couple of things. Really impressed by the crowd. So, and, and it only built like shit. The, the, the Saturday-Sunday numbers, particularly Sunday, were super impressive. Yeah, the pictures of, of like fairways lined with people. Yeah. Considering, I think, um, particularly the environment over here in Queensland at the moment, we're obviously a little bit behind our brothers and sisters in New South Wales and Victoria, but um, the the cron is on the move. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Now you had to you had to be fully vaccinated to enter the event. Um, you had to show proof of that upon entry. So probably a little less concern, but still. Uh, I think given the environment over here at the moment, really impressive to see people actively vote with their feet yep. of a major golf tournament in our backyard. So there's that hugely impressed by the course. So first and foremost, condition. The green staff deserve an enormous pat on the back. The way they presented that course and when you consider, I think personally it got better as as the week went on, which isn't an easy task when you've got an awful amount of foot traffic over it that mm. it doesn't usually have. It's one Fair of the most ex- absolutely. Mm. It's one of the most exclusive courses in Queensland to the extent that that's the first time I've ever been there was walking the PGA. And that would have been the case for a lot of people who came through the door. So it's not used to that amount of foot traffic. It handled it incredibly well. And I know that there was a lot of contention around taking it away from Raw Pines. Raw Pines is an excellent tournament venue. 
the land that this is on, I think, is so well suited to hosting the infrastructure that's required for a major tournament like this mm. in terms of, like, yes, there were grandstands, there were amenities, there were bars and everything. I didn't feel cramped any time on any part of the property. It was wide open, beautiful place to walk. And then just finally, um, the actual course itself, like I had a couple of messages and replying to stories from Thursday of what I was posting from out there saying, geez, it, it, it just looks like a flatter, more boring version of Royal Pines. And I, I felt bad. I felt like I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't doing a good enough job. Good justice. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that, um, that the broadcast and definitely not my stories that I was posting on Thursday could go anywhere close to doing justice to that course. Uh, everything you'd expect from a McKenzie course, no two lies are the same. You're hitting balls from above your feet, below your feet, um, in, incredible green complexes. I don't think that was coming across on the television. The greens out there are ridiculous. Uh, and so the value that it places on, you know, accuracy of your approach is incredible. And, and just the changes in elevation, the undulations, in the fairways, I've not seen a course like it in Queensland. And Royal Pines is is probably on a path to where that is, hmm. but I don't think it's near the extent of Royal Queensland. I was no. super, super impressed. Um, I felt like giving Clates a pat on the back when I was walking near him on Thursday to say, you know, I know you're a, you're, you're a traditionalist and you're probably a little bit of a McKenzie snob, to be honest. I'm not surprised you didn't do much in terms of material changes. Um, but like a lot of that screamed of the very rudimentary knowledge I have of McKenzie, a lot of that screamed McKenzie at me. Mm. And that's credit to, to Clates, who's done an entire redevelopment of the course. It's interesting. I saw those comments of people saying it's a flatter version of Royal Pines. Like Royal Pines isn't that hilly. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what the fuck everyone was talking about. I was like, I've played it. I've played Royal Pines. Yeah. Like I thought it was probably one of the most flat courses that I've played. There's an element of, of slope to it, but it's not like, it's not a hilly golf course no, by any stretch. No. So. But you did a great job out there, mate. You did a very good job on the socials, uh, capturing some content. A couple of little piece to cameras as well, which was nice to see. Nice to see. went dead. Too much content. I know. And you got in the gate. So congratulations. Well done uh, on getting through the gate unscathed. But uh, no, you did a really good job, mate. Just on that note, I know we want to wrap up very shortly. Um, Finally, I I think we, we owe a pat on the back to the PGA of Australasia. And the PGA, uh, sorry, and the Australian PGA for that matter, um, put on a great tournament. Yeah, put on a great event. Absolutely, um, struck a uh, uh, a really good broadcast deal that put Fox on the ground. Um, who, and despite our, our uh, complaints about the age schedule, for the main part, I thought the broadcast was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, I want to shout out Nick Hearn. I thought Nick Hearn's addition to that commentary team and his insight was unreal ports did an outstanding job as always on the ground but nick ahern i thought just brought an extra element so that's credit to the pga for striking that broadcast deal um created a really good event on the ground the activations out there you know what was on offer for people uh and i think the the courage of their convictions to move it you know it's been comfortable at royal pines for 10 years and it wouldn't have been an easy decision to say we're going to take it to one of the most exclusive private mm. courses in mm. Queensland. It wouldn't have been an easy um, an easy decision. And I think that they were rewarded handsomely. So credit where it's due to the PGA. It was an awesome event. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what the broadcast looks like across all the rest of the 
tournaments that they're going to broadcast, I you know dare to say that it's probably not going to have the same level of investment as the Australian PGA. Um, yeah. But uh, very much looking forward to that. And also, um, I know we're just winding things up here, but um, the announcement of the increased prize purse for next year for or for the for this year's, I guess, uh, Australian PGA up to two million dollars. It'll return to the DP World Tour. So very exciting, despite all our potential criticisms and and questions that we asked at the time, but we were right in asking them. So great to see. Just thought we'd jam that in at the back of our chat here to wrap things up. Two PGAs in the same year back at Royal Queensland at the back end. It's awesome. Uh, I think December. So I'll be there. Even- yeah, I was going to say, I might have been looking at getting you over. We could get a start. We've got you know, nine months to lay the groundwork for a start in the Pro-Am. Settle so down. We were told very we'll firmly it was a no, mate. So. I just want to, I just want to before we go, um, I think it would be remiss to mention uh, Hideki Matsuyama winning his eighth PGA oh, was... to a title. Was there um, a PGA Tour event on this week? <laughs> yeah, so I saw I saw roughly 10 minutes of PGA Tour golf this week, and it was the final hole and the playoff hole okay. at the Sony Open at Wailai Country Club. Uh, uh, Hideki Matsuyama entered the 18th uh, 72nd hole in regulation a shot behind Russell Henley and swung his proverbial balls off the tee, um, took a stupid line cutting over trees uh, and then hit an uh, eagle I think or it was a birdie on the 18th and then Drew um, had Louis Doblin not dunked his eagle uh, on the second on Thursday, Hideki Matsuyama's approach into the first playoff hole three wood, <laughs> which was a which was two seventy seven yards. So it's what's phenomenal? Two fifty five to mid two fifty meters, um, off the deck three wood, one hundred and seventy seven miles per hour ball speed. So again, swung his willy off and stuck it to three feet. It was Amazing. one of the more remarkable shots I've ever seen, and Absolutely. further proof to me that that guy. Is a unicorn. Uh, led led the field this week in putting, and we know when that happens, Hideki wins. If he finds the putter at all, Hideki wins and secures his eighth PGA Tour title, which starts to put him in rare air. So, Great. congratulations to Hideki, and congratulations to Kevin Nah, who put Grayson Murray in an absolute body bag this week on <laughs> Twitter. Did. It was um, yeah, very, good. For, for, very briefly for those who missed it, uh, bit, bit Kevin Nah in a bit of strife about pace of play this week. Grayson Murray, bad bad guy, just quietly. Um, yeah, Twitter profile pick is him and Trump. I'll tell you all you need to know. Uh, Grayson Murray tweeted, um, Kevin, Kevin Nah's pace of play is getting old. And Kevin Nah finished his round, got on Twitter and quote tweeted and said, you missing cuts is getting old. Brilliant. Uh, which was awesome. Emotional so, damage. Well done, Kevin. That'll probably do us. It will. Um, Let's so, get to our interview that we've got. Yeah. Geez, we've got Fun. a few line. Like, oh, boy. Content coming out your uh, Norse in the next couple of weeks. I can confirm I did a count before. We have 15 interviews uh, to publish uh, or to record and publish in the next couple of weeks. And we've got uh, sitting on the other end of our line in our waiting room at the moment is Laurie Flint. So that one will be coming out soon. So we'll get him in and we'll get him on the broadcast. Good man, Drew. Congratulations once again to Jediah Morgan. A uh, good friend of the podcast, an unbelievable win, and a Sue O. Similarly remarkable win. The Australian PGA and WPGA wrapped for another year. We'll be back at later this week or next? Next week. One or two. Next, next week. week. Give yourself a, a week off. Good to see you, Dreads, as always. Look forward to your company next week.